This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to Basically, I am Stephanie Preisner and today I'm going to be talking to News Talk's tech correspondent, Jess Kelly, about the new COVID tracking app. Is it something that is stalking us? Is a big brother harvesting all of our data and following us around and selling, making millions off us? Or is it helping us as one strand in the battle against a killer virus and actually using less information about you than even your weather app? I have with me in studio Jess Kelly. Hello. Hi, how are you? you? I'm great. Um, This is a spontaneous episode based on the fact that we now have a new COVID tracking app. And I am, okay, I'm not the type of person who reads the terms and conditions on things, but I probably should. So will you talk me through the COVID tracking app and if there's anything that we should be concerned about or why why we have this app in the first place. Yeah, so the important thing to know about this app is that it's called the COVID Tracker app, not the Person Tracker app. It's there to try and track where the virus is, um, if there are clusters, if there are certain counties where it's uh, sort of more more, uh, more visible and more in the community. Uh, the idea with this is that it's a free app available on both iOS and Android. Uh, you download it onto your phone And once you have your Bluetooth switched on, which is the most important step after you download the app, um, my phone and your phone, if we are within uh, two meters for 15 minutes or more, our phones will do what's called a Bluetooth handshake. If then, after I leave here today, I am then found to have COVID, uh, I will get on to the contact tracing team. Uh, They will ask if I have the app and if I say yes, they'll say, do you consent to uh, issuing what's called diagnosis keys? If I say yes to that, they'll text me a six digit code that I put into the app. And then anyone who's been in my little radius um, over the last 14 days will get a notification and it'll say you've been in close contact with somebody who is a positive case of COVID-19. Check out for your symptoms. And uh, if you get any symptoms, get onto your GP and get a test. But if you don't get any symptoms... If you don't get any symptoms, you still should follow the guidelines. So the guidelines within the app are if you've been in within close contact of anyone, you should still uh, self-isolate. You shouldn't be on public transport. You shouldn't be around the elderly. Uh, work from home where possible. But the key thing is once you get that notification, you, you can't just ignore it. You know, that right. that's the whole point is that it's alerting you to the fact that you have been. And we know that the symptoms don't necessarily present immediately. Um, and so from a responsibility point of view, you should self-isolate for the two weeks. Okay. And so this has been in development since since when? Like I've, it- It's a few months in the work. So we started hearing about COVID tracking apps um, in Singapore and places like that. They use them and it was proven to have a good success rate. In certain parts of the world where it has been successful, it was forced, it was a mandatory download um, and people had to do it if they were going out and about. 
we started hearing talk of our version in March of this year. So still quite early on in our mm-hmm. COVID journey. Um, and there were a few different uh, thought processes around the development of an app. Uh, there was talk initially that we would build one completely from scratch because some people were uncomfortable with the notion of using the Google and Apple partnership and their development kit, basically, which we ended up using in the long run. Right. Um, What does that mean? Like what's... It's the software that Apple and Google made available uh, on any of their devices. So people, before the app became available, like I did it the day before the app became available, if you went into settings, you would have seen a little notification appear uh, that was just called exposure notifications. Now, some people thought, oh, they've already placed a COVID tracker or a tracking facility on my phone. That wasn't the case. Google and Apple made this software available right around the world for governments then to build an app that was compatible to do that Bluetooth handshake and then alert people if uh, they get the notification. And the reason that's important is, you know, if we had have gone down the route of building our own app from scratch, not using the software, there would have been a hell of a lot more teething problems, I think, in terms of compatibility with different phones, in terms of, you know, the data protection aspect, the GDPR compliance aspect and the simplicity of use. Like anyone who has downloaded this app and if you haven't done it yet, the thing that struck me firstly was just the simplicity of it. When you download it, it asks for no personal information. The option is there to put in personal information such as your name and your phone number and your gender if you want, but you don't have to. And if you don't put your name or your mobile number in, how can the app still be useful to you? It's still completely useful regardless of whether or not you put that information in. The only thing that that um, information does is speed up the HSE getting in contact with you if you need a test. I know myself, I get a thousand notifications every single day and I ignore the majority of them. And so there's nothing to say that we could get the notification through, swipe to ignore it and not think any more about it. You know the way you can... Oh, it would just come up like a notification, like you have a WhatsApp message. You just have a message from the WhatsApp, from the COVID tracker. Yeah, you get a pop-up and that would be it. So the idea with this is that if I am in close contact with someone who tests positive for COVID, that I will then... I could and I have put my name and my number in I'd get a call straight away rather than them relying on me to get in so touch So it's just a kind of a secondary notification Yeah Yeah Okay And the thing to, the important thing to note is that they it's in the data protection impact assessment which is the least exciting document you could read but it's in there that they can't use this information for any other reason so you're not going to suddenly be on you know a text database within the HSE getting reminders to get x y and z nobody other than the HSE and the contact tracing team can use this for any other purpose than to alert you about covid okay because there's a lot of people who've been getting in touch with me saying they're afraid to use it because they think the government is going to have too much information on them. But like, am I right in saying that pretty much every other app on your phone has more information on it than this? Like certainly Instagram, Google Maps, all of those things use more of your information that you are happy to give it than this contact tracing app. 100%. If you have a smart device which you need to get this app, simply by setting up your phone, you've handed over more information to the big tech companies than this app requires. It's also worth noting that any information that's input into the app 
So if you go in every day and you check how you're feeling and all the rest, that's not going up onto a big government database saying that Jess Kelly is feeling great today. (laughs) That's not going anywhere. It's all stored locally on your phone. The only time information gets put out from this app to anywhere other than your phone is when you get that six digit code from the contact tracing team, which you must consent to before they send it out. So I could have the app, I could use it every day and if I end up getting COVID and I get onto the contact tracing team and they they say, do you want to issue the diagnosis keys? I can say no. Every element of this has been built upon consent, which is one of the fundamental principles of GDPR Um, and it was built that way. If you go onto your phone right now and you go into settings and you go into apps and you click on every single app that's on your phone, you'll see a little thing called permissions. And if you click into that, you will see the number of apps that require uh, your location, uh, require your contacts, require your phone log, require your message log, require your Bluetooth, all of this information and why. This is something that I've kind of found it interesting and a little bit frustrating because for the last five or six years, like as long as I've been a technology correspondent, I've been trying to encourage people to take uh, their data seriously and to be, you know, have ownership of it because it's the most valuable thing that we have. And now when we're kind of encouraging people to download this app, all of a sudden everybody's on board with my message from a few months and a few years ago about, you know, protect your data. This doesn't want any personal information on you. All it wants is your Bluetooth to be on to do that Bluetooth handshake so that somebody can get alerted if they need to get a test, if they need to self-isolate and it could potentially save lives. And the reason I guess that this is important, so this this doesn't work unless enough of us use it. And this is, and this maybe I'm wrong, but let me try and figure it out. We have a lockdown, right? We had a lockdown where everyone was in their homes. Mm-hmm. The alternative to having a lockdown is to, so we either lock down the humans or we lock down the disease. And if we have this app, then we are allowing people to be out in the world, not stuck in their homes. And then as the disease pops up, we lock down specifically and in a more targeted way. So if we don't do, if we don't have this app and numbers increase, we're just going to have to lock down everyone again, aren't we? Yeah. And that's why I said at the top, it's the COVID tracker app. That's all it wants to do is try and track the virus. We're all being encouraged to take staycations. People are going back to work. There's a lot more people on the move than there was two months ago. And as you say, rather than forcing everyone to stay home, which a lot of people found really tough for a whole host of reasons, This is a tool to enable us to get back to some form of normality. Now, I'm by no means saying this is 100% accurate and it's going to solve the problem and it'll quash and squash the virus out of the country. That's not what this is. This is a tool to try and identify any clusters that may arise, any spikes that may not be visible because we know that some people may not be showing any form of symptoms but still could test positive. Okay. And so, because it isn't without its problems, one of the problems is not it taking your data and you being, you know, tracked. Mm -hmm. But if we look at where the clusters have been, nursing homes, the elderly, like a disproportionate number of people who have died from COVID have been the elderly, have been in nursing homes. If you don't have a smartphone, Mm -hmm. this is pretty useless. 
Well, no, it's not useless because, well, if you're if you are an elderly person or if you're a young person that doesn't have a smartphone, it's not that it's useless. It's just that it's not useful to you. This is something that works alongside the traditional um, contact tracing process and it works alongside us doing, you know, having good hand sanitization, uh, social distancing, wearing masks. It's an accompaniment to it. It's not a replacement in any way, shape or form. If you don't have a smartphone or if you have, say, for example, an iPhone 5 that doesn't have the latest version of iOS, then you can't get it. So that is a point of frustration. But I don't think we were going to find a solution that had, uh, you know, every box ticked for every single person. I don't think that solution exists. This is something that very much, as I understand it, it's aimed at the people like you and me who are commuting from one place to another, mm-hmm. who are out and about, who, you know, I can't work from home. I'm still, I was, because of my job, we, we are essential employees and I, I don't say that like I'm a frontliner, but every day during this, we were going into the studio, we were still producing our programs. So it's it's aimed at people like that, people who still need to go out and about. If you're in a nursing home, and you are sort of, you know, staying in within the confines of that area, chances are you're not going to need the app in the same way. Right, okay. um, it's more for the people who are, as I say, out about and about people who are doing the staycations, going around the country, even going around different cities. I guess a good rule of thumb is like if you're going to be in contact with people who you don't know, who mm. you don't know their names and you don't know their mobile numbers and you couldn't contact them if you got the virus or mm. they couldn't contact you if they gave it to you, then this app is helpful. It's, yeah, I would say it's, you know, pretty vital. I remember when the first few cases arrived into the country and there was talk of someone who arrived in from Italy to Dublin airport and then got a bus up to Belfast, I think it was. And the question was asked, you know, if someone was on that bus or how does someone know that they were on that specific bus where the case was? And um, Leo Varadkar, the teacher at the time, said, look, we've done it before where we can issue appeals. So, you know, you could totally have a thing whereby if you were on the one twenty pm bus going up to Belfast on Sunday, the 8th of April, please contact us. That's one, el- like that could still happen. And that could very well happen if we do have severe outbreaks again where you are getting these call outs for people to get in touch. But for someone like me who gets public transport twice a day, every single day of the week, I feel safer having the app on my phone mm-hmm. because you don't know where people are coming and going to and from. You know, as I said, I was going in every day during the lockdown and over the last three or four weeks, I have felt unsafe on public transport because you hear people coming on, shouting loudly, talking across, not respecting things like social distancing, wearing masks and all the rest. And Do that you think is a point if those people on your bus or whatever who don't respect social distancing have the app? And are going to use it, in which case is it doesn't matter. I genuinely don't know. I think from my own peace of mind, I would like to think so. And I think I, I, I'm not the only one who's sort of had to have these little conversations of like everyone else will come on board soon. Like I was on a tram this morning and for the first time in 18 weeks, every single person was wearing a mask. And that's a huge sense of relief. So I do think people are buying into it. And as the threat of a second wave becomes more real, People will do, I I hope people will do what they can. Like I said on my show last week, like I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist. The only thing I can do, the only part that I can play in the fight against this is having the app on my phone, wearing a mask and washing my hands. That's the height of it. And that's all we're being asked to do. And so if you, so you download the app Mm -hmm. and 
you ha- you download the app, you do or you don't give it your mobile number, that's fine. And you leave your Bluetooth on. Yeah. How important is the daily check-in? I've been reminding people on Instagram to check in daily, not because I think it's necessary, but because I think it's good to sort of take a second in the morning to be like, how am I feeling? Do I have any symptoms? Yeah. I think it's not a vital part. It's one of those, it's sort of an add-on to the app. The core function of this app is to do that Bluetooth handshake when you're within two metres of someone for 15 minutes or more. The symptom checker thing, it's a nice feature, but again, its it, I would only sort of buy the figures if everyone was doing it every single day. Yes, and I they're also, not. Like today's figures are like 137, like we're recording this in the morning, 137,000. I think the first day that I did it, it was like 800,000 people checked in. Yeah, and I think the novelty factor has sort of, that's a dreadful way to say it, but the novelty factor has worn off for some people. The other thing that I would note within the app is if you say that, you know, it, it says, how are you feeling today? And you can say, I'm good, no symptoms, or I'm, I don't feel good. Yeah. yeah, and if you click on that, it'll just ask you if you have a temperature. And if you say no, it'll ask you basically if you have the, the, the most specific, common yes, symptoms. I did that because one day I wasn't feeling great. I Same. had, I didn't have any COVID symptoms, but I just wasn't feeling I great. I was feeling crap, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder what this guy, what they're going to say to me. And they just are like, do you have a fever? Do you have a headache? Uh, do you have a cough? dry or otherwise or whatever and then then I was like no 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 and they were like it's great to hear you're feeling good and I was like but I'm not feeling literally good literally not what I said <laughs> I'm tired but I'm so bad <laughs> I just want to lie down so I, I don't think it's an essential part of it I think it's an interesting you know feature to have but that to me is is not a key part of it. The thing that I'm most worried about now is, you know, we saw the huge numbers of people downloading it. We had a million people downloading it within 42, 48 hours, I think it was. And my fear factor now is that people are going to turn off their Bluetooth because it's draining their battery. You what know? is the solution to that? There isn't one. Um, they bring a charger with you. Bring a charger. Bring a backpack uh, or backup charger. Like I'm out today, and my phone. I've noticed it is having a bit of an impact on on my battery. I'm down at thirty four percent, which is not ideal. I always have my Bluetooth on there because I have a Fitbit, and my phone connects to my car, so I just leave my Bluetooth on all the time. Yeah, and so there are people who do that, but I have Bluetooth headphones, and usually when I get into work, I turn my Bluetooth off. It's just a habitual thing, and so I've had to sort of force myself to leave it on because. It's only when you leave it on that it really works. Some people were saying that they have it downloaded, but they're not going to use the Bluetooth. But all that's doing is just taking up memory on your phone. You need to have the Bluetooth on for it to do that handshake. Right, okay. How does it match up to any sort of COVID tracking apps in other countries, do you know? Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of countries sort of gave up on their contact tracing apps. It's important to note, we spent €850,000 developing this app and it's a Waterford company called Nearform that worked really closely with the HSE and the Gardaí to develop this app. Um, when you look at other countries who've gone down different routes... Why were they working with the Gardaí? Because the Gardaí have been fantastic in terms of uh, embracing technology. There's a guy called Tim Willoughby who has brought in the app. I don't know if you've seen on the Garda Twitter account, They the Gardaí now use mobile phones to uh, do the... Oh, Pulse and everything is on their phones. Yeah, and yeah. the uh, automatic number plate recognition. So they spoke to the Gardaí to see how what, what's best practice, I suppose, in terms okay. of developing an app, which is really, really cool because it, it shows that there's thinking, this cross-board thinking rather than just tunnel vision thinking, which I think is pretty cool. So we spent €850,000 developing this app with Nearform, Gardaí, HSE, um, building it. 
when you look in other countries, the figure that I've seen in certain parts of Europe is around 12 million euro to develop an app and then they've abandoned it, which is bonkers. Um, it's and like us and our electronic voting systems. <laughs> basically, yeah. But we, we're doing we well mistakes. on this front. But I think because we're a small enough country, I think because our messaging was quite clear around this from, like you can say what you want, but I do think we have done quite well in terms of the messaging mm-hmm. around COVID since the beginning. Um, and I do think that has really helped us the number of countries who are abandoning their apps is a little bit worrying. And I do think as we, you know, travel across Europe and so on, that is going to be an issue because how do you know, like the the Irish app at the moment, it's going to hopefully work with uh, people in Northern Ireland soon and will hopefully work, you know, if you're in the UK and so on to try and do that Bluetooth handshake to track and to see if you do come into contact w- with anyone who has it. Um, but it's just it's not common across certainly in the US and in large parts of Europe that the app is being successful okay so we so if you do travel abroad when we can travel abroad we're not sure that our contact tracing is going to match up with anyone else's phone it's only an Irish specific it's an Irish specific thing okay I want to talk to you for a second about UX design. So UX stands for user experience and UX design is the experience you have when you're using an app or a website. So like for me, Pinterest, I find Pinterest app very poorly designed because the focus is on images. The UX should be constructed so that viewing the images is kind of easy and intuitive but when you go on the Pinterest app the images are really small and it's really annoying so that is an example of UX design if you are interested in learning more about UX design or maybe even changing your career because UX designers are very much in demand the UX Design Institute has a course that is top class one of the great things about the course is that you don't need any coding or previous experience to do the course and it's delivered through short videos that you can take at your own pace so it's not tied to any sort of schedule that you might not be able for. If you check out uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash basically and you see you put in the basically because that means that they know that I sent you and then I get kudos. So uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash basically to learn more about the course to see if it's something that you want to know more about you want to undertake or you might want to I don't know change your career entirely I put up a question box on Instagram and asked people if they had any questions for you Mm -hmm. so I'm going to put a few of those to you now yep so this person why is it not available for under 16s the digital age of consent in Ireland is 16 and this is something that the HSE said they agonised over for quite some time in terms of getting the under 16s to use it, there are a few different issues at play. So firstly is digital age of consent, but also having those type of alerts going to kids under the age of 16, informing them, you know, they could be at a friend's house, they could be anywhere and suddenly they get a notification saying that they've been in close contact with someone with COVID, which is probably not a fantastic notification for a kid to get. Um, So look, there's been a bit of debate about this. It's not the perfect system by any stretch of the imagination. But in terms of sort of responsibility and so on, they decided to not allow 16-year-olds to get it. Now, could they let 16-year-olds get it, but make the notifications come to... Oh, no, because the notification comes to the phone with the app rather than your mobile number. Okay, well, don't have a solution for that. Saws. Do I have to log in daily when I go to a new place or is it done automatically? It's done automatically. 
Is it true that if you have a UK registered phone, the app won't work here? It's that this is something that they were working on in the short term. So this was became a problem. It became pretty evident uh, last week that it was an issue. They are working to resolve it at the moment. But again, you don't have to put a phone number into it. So if you want to put your phone number in, you have to wait a little while longer until they make it available. But for right now, just download it and turn on your Bluetooth. You don't need to have it. How reliable how reliable is the Bluetooth communication between phones? This is a, a big um sort of point of contention Bluetooth wasn't built for this right Bluetooth was built so that it can connect to your car connect to your Fitbit that sort of thing stationary objects in close proximity exactly it what, what's happening now is there's no connection happening it's doing that Bluetooth handshake which is essentially acknowledging that your phone is kind of close to my phone and that's the height of it because it's something that Bluetooth wasn't built for there are some questions as to you know how accurate it will be and so on but I think when you have the big giants of um, Apple and Google working on it in the background, plus you have, you know, the top brains when it comes to app development working on it, I would be pretty confident. And it's also better than nothing. So yeah. I do, uh, look, I, I don't want to say that it's absolutely fail safe and it's, you know, the absolute perfect solution. But I do think to have something like this turned around in the space that we've turned it around it is pretty impressive. Is there, do we have a database on the number of people who downloaded it versus the number of people who are actually using it? Because we can't take the daily check-in as an indication no. of how many people are using it. No, and that's something that I think you, the this, this is a graph within the app that shows you how many people have downloaded the app. But in terms of active use and so on, uh, we don't have that information. That information does get logged up and it's completely anonymized but that does sync up uh, so that the uh, Department of Health can see how many people are actively using it but um, like the hope is that people downloaded it, kept their Bluetooth on and just ignored the app on their phone. That's the best way to use it. What happens if 65% of people don't use it? Uh, nothing. This is it, it like the figure it came from an Oxford study that we need around 60% of the population of the adult population to download it to uh, work. But the HSC at the press briefing uh, last week when the app was launched said that we've already reached a threshold where the information is pretty decent. Like we're, we're, Unless 100% of people download it, it's not going to be 100% as impactful as it can. But we've already reached a threshold where we have more than 1 million people who are who have downloaded the app. Um, and so that information is more useful to us than if we didn't have the app. Ideally, as I said, we would get to that 60% of people. Um, but I, I think that was kind of wishful thinking. How does the contact tracing actually work? Will it work without Wi-Fi or data? Yes, and this is a really important point and it's a great question. It will work without Bluetooth, uh, without Wi-Fi or data. You just need to have your Bluetooth on. And that's really handy for people who live in certain parts of the country where you don't have phone signal and you don't have data in certain pockets. You know, I know a lot of people who wouldn't have phone signal even in their home uh, in their own home. So it just needs Bluetooth. And the way the contact tracing process works, again, is that the Bluetooth uh, handshake happens if someone that has been in your uh, radius is confirmed you will get onto the contact tracing team and get your code that'll go out and if you get a notification then you act upon it by self-isolating and getting in touch with your GP if you show any form of symptoms. Do I say I'm here and then a week from now I feel unwell and I go to my doctor and she's like you know what we're going to test you for COVID and then I get a test and the HSE ring me and they're like hey yeah you have COVID 
do I then have to go into the app? Like, are they going to say to me, do you have that app, by the way? Or because surely I can just deal with all of that. And at no point the app comes into it if I haven't been contacted through the app. Uh, so say, so if you are confirmed as having COVID, uh, you'll have to get onto the contact tracing team. And this is regardless of whether the app exists or not. Okay. That's always the process. And so say we don't have an app, but we've been together today, you would have to say Jess Kelly and give my phone number. Okay. And that's how the contact tracing process, wor- process works at and the moment. So I will still do that, right? Uh, yeah. they, I'll say, oh, Jess and I did a podcast together. Uh-huh. But our phones and our bodies were two metres separate. Will they still contact you? It No, if if you're not a close contact, and this is something that a lot of people were raising their eyebrows about the traditional contact tracing uh, process. I remember like Ivan Yates, who I work with, he had been in close contact with Mary Lou MacDonald uh, when she was confirmed as having COVID. But they were on The Tonight Show and she was sitting on one end of the desk and he was sitting on the other end of the desk and they weren't in close contact. So he didn't get called forward. So that's how it works. You, but then you, they're also seeing studies like they were showing, like it's come up in the last few weeks that it might be airborne in the sense mm. that restaurants that have poor ventilation in Wuhan one family infected people in the restaurant yeah. that they weren't even speaking to so but this is the this is the scary thing and like I know that you know Luke has been on and he will be on Luke O'Neill the the science on this is changing every single day yeah and what we knew for certain back in March is now coming under intense scrutiny mm-hmm. and it's constantly evolving. So none of this is set in stone. Like right. no element of this is set in stone. So and they that's might why change it. They may change the criteria. Like we saw the testing criteria change three or four times, I think it was now, of like what criteria you need to meet to get a test. But that's why having the app is beneficial because if they change the radius tomorrow to say five metres, that will then update automatically on my phone and we would absolutely be within that distance of each other. So if one How of us became sick... How far does Bluetooth work? Uh, it depends on the the type of phone that you have. So I have Bluetooth 3PO. So this, it, it would work... I think it's five metres is the extent of the radius. Okay. Um, anything more than that, then you would struggle. But um, again, this is not the be all and end all in terms of contact tracing and tracking the, the virus. When will it be available in other app stores? Yeah, this is a frustrating one. We don't know is the honest answer. I, like I was using a Huawei phone up until this morning and um, just for research purposes and it wouldn't let me um, en- enable the exposure notifications it wasn't available because it wasn't an Apple or a Google product so it's my understanding that they're working on that but it's not necessarily a huge priority at this moment in time and then finally um, I wanted to ask either you or Jess um, about the ICCL Digital Rights Ireland press release pre-release report card from the COVID app I'm trying to convince all my friends to use the app but one of them has quoted this app me if either of you can help I'd be really re- I'd be really grateful yeah so this is the what is that what does that even it's mean it's the Irish Council of Civil Liberties and this is a group that um, it takes issues of data protection and privacy very seriously and the first thing that I want to say, say is that I fully accept and respect uh, concerns when it comes to privacy as I said for years and years and years I've been Part of my job is to educate people around this on what big tech is taking from us, what our phones is taking from us. Um, so I read through their, they did a report card and sort of gave it like D grades, C grades. Um, I don't think it got any A's in terms of meeting its criteria. And the different gradings were based on the functionality of the app. Um, so I have it here in front of me now. And so it gave it 
where is the one here now? So in terms of statutory oversight, uh, the app was given a C and uh, the Digital Rights Ireland director said we would question the legal basis of consent the government appears to be relying on under GDPR. Furthermore, long term, we are very concerned that Google and Apple will have ultimate control over the mo- over most of the EU's COVID-19 app ecosystem and not our governments. And I, I like I understand to a certain extent, but like I I did an interview with the Deputy Data Protection Commissioner, Graham Doyle, and I've been talking to him for months about this app and about the development of this app. And he and his office were very influential and in giving constant feedback to the HSE in terms of the development of this app. And it is built on the principles of data protection. And that's why the first thing that you have to click when you download this app is that you consent to using it. Uh-huh. Then again, you have to consent to turning your Bluetooth on. And you have to consent to giving your phone number if you want to. It's all built on consent. And so when I read that, I acknowledge it. But having read through the data protection impact assessment, having spoken to different bodies, both from, you know, people who would typically be very cautious about big tech and understandably so, they couldn't really fault it because it has been built with the the minimum data uh, requirement so is this like looking for problems where there are none or is it some is it a group that like their sole purpose is to find issues with civil liberty and that's the lens through which they see everything in the world i i don't want to be critical of them but i do think they they wear the hat where they do go in with the microscope and they look for issues and i think it's you know very often and they were very vocal about things like the public services card and did great work around that so i would never dismiss or you know be a bit dickish about someone who's expressing concerns about privacy but I've done my homework on this I've spoken to the different bodies I'm not saying at no time in the future will there ever be an issue about this but right now it is offering far more help than threat 100% like the the COVID is a much bigger threat to you than (laughs) this app if you are downloading this app you have already handed over your information to Google and to Apple. Because you have a phone. Because you have a phone. The only information that Google and Apple will have about you from this app is the fact that you've downloaded it. But it will also have that information about you having downloaded... Candy Crush. Any of the crap that we have on our phones. (laughs) And if, as I said, if you go through the settings on your phone and look at what permissions the different apps require, you will see that you have handed over so much information for so long. And I just think that if this is something that we can do to try and help, and I'm not saying it's the be all and end all. But it's something. But it's something and it's better than nothing. And I do think that, you know, the the different bodies who have been involved, the different bodies whose core function is to investigate these types of things have given it as much of a gold seal of approval as they possibly can. I have the phone, I have the app on my phone. I have my number in it. I have my name in it. I have my date of birth in so it. So I, yeah. That's as much as I can say. Well, thank you so much. I have one final question. Do you think that there is a place for tech outside of this in the fight for COVID-19? Do you think eventually we'll be able to like, I don't know, test ourselves through our phones or something? 
or through wearable tech? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a million miles away and I don't think necessarily just from a COVID point of view, but in general, you know, you're wearing a Fitbit there now and it'll tell you how many steps you take. It might tell you your heart rate and all those different things. There's nothing to stop a new one coming out that could also check your temperature, for example. Yeah. Um, we're putting in a lot of information into our phones already. The HSE, to give them credit, you know, about two years ago, I did a series with them looking at how they're embracing technology and they're doing so many cool things. They're doing a lot around mental health they're working with tech companies who have built apps for people who don't feel comfortable to going in to meet a mental health professional or maybe don't need to go in and meet a mental health professional they're kind of on uh, they're sort of a step away from that at this stage but they can still track their moods they can still track their medication they can track different things about how they're feeling but there's always a human at the other end so if something goes awry someone can get in touch straight away and that to me is a really cool use of technology that didn't exist a few years ago. And I think we need to be open to embracing new methods of uh, technology when it comes to medical, the medical side of things. Yeah. And I completely get that people would be sceptical about, again, sharing very personal information. But when I was out in one of the hospitals one of the doctors there was saying that it's probably safer to have my medical information on an encrypted database than in a brown paper folder sitting on a shelf that could get knocked off, could get a glass of water spilt on it, could get pinched. That's the yeah. difference. And so I, I I am really optimistic about the role the tech can play. My sort of the thing that frustrates me the most, because I love my job and tech is the thing that I'm most interested in, in the world. And I hate sometimes the way the media narrative goes about technology. You know, it's just this thing. It's another device to keep us as mindless zombies. And that was fine for a while. But look at what it's doing, you know, at the moment. Look at how certain teachers in certain schools have embraced it for e-learning. Look at how people have embraced it from a fitness point of view. Look at how small businesses have embraced it to keep their businesses afloat. Um, so I do think that there is a key role that technology can play we just need to have the right attitudes towards it. And that doesn't mean uh, disregarding concerns about data protection. It just means being eyes wide open. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, you know, this sort of war on tech. I understand it. And I think every time Cambridge Analytica or mm. Russia or someone breaches it, they it's a form of terrorism because it undermines, it makes us scared and it makes us unsure about what we can do. But like if the same war was being waged on paper, like, think of all the ways in which paper has, you know, stuff has been written down, stuff has been burned. As you say, stuff mm -hmm. has fallen off shelves. Things have been mixed up because things have been in hard copy. Um, there are definitely concerns to be had with tech. But overall, I think in this case and in this instance, this app is a good thing. And if you're comfortable, please download it. Jess Kelly, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. That was Jess Kelly, News Talk's tech correspondent. Uh, as always, I'm very grateful to you for listening. And I always find these end bits hard because I'm like assuming that you enjoyed it. But I also have this level of insecurity about maybe you didn't enjoy it. But I hope that you did. And if you did, could you please let me know because I'm insecure. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Steph Preisner on Twitter and at Stephanie Preisner on Instagram. And if you could just tell just even one person about the podcast or share it on your stories, I'd be super grateful. It really helps me to get the word out there and get the listener numbers up. As ever, we are mixed by Alan Bennett from Headstuff and our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara and our music is Only Ruined.
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.